Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Sometimes we have episodes focused on real thoughtful people that are doing research. By training, I'm a marketing research, so I'm always fascinating in research, trying to understand qualitatively and quantitatively um, issues and approach it from an objective standpoint. And so we have two researchers that have done wonderful work to better minister to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. This podcast is targeted at warden stake councils, um, bishops, stake presidents, but the entire warden stake council. But the principles my guests share would be helpful for parents. And um, with that, I'll introduce, um, we have two guests joining me via Zoom. Um, first one is my friend, Dr. Tyler Lefevre. I'm mispronouncing your name. Lefevre. Lefevre, yeah. <laughs> Lefevre. And he is a university, um, Utah State University professor with a PhD in psychology from the University of Miami. And um, Tyler has shared his story on episode 296 as a gay Latter-day Saint. We also have a PhD candidate, if that's the right vocabulary. I'll take it. You'll take it. Who's also who's working? I think. Um, as part of Tyler's stewardship or under Tyler or however that works, um, a PhD student at Utah State University. Tell our, and this is my friend Sam Skidmore. Tell our listeners a little bit about your PhD. Ooh, um, yeah, I'm a second slash third year in the program working in Tyler's lab. So it's a bit of classes, it's a lot of research focus. So doing these studies, like we'll talk about today with Tyler. And then starting clinical work. So working as a therapist and counselor on campus for students and community members. And Sam's been on the podcast. He's a good friend. He was on episode 66. That was a long time ago. Came back and updated his stories. His story changed a little bit. Um, Episode 310, I teased him before we went live. I said, it's not like you went from not gay to gay. You were gay (laughs) in both episodes, but like a lot of... LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, your story changes a little bit, so I appreciate you coming back on. Um, will you both of you just take a second and introduce our listeners to just your personal station in life? Um, Sam, will you start first? Just, you know, people probably wonder, are you in the church, out of the church? Yeah. Um, and just however you want to just introduce yourself. You don't even need to answer that if you want to. I just want our listeners to get a little feel for you. I'm, in fact, maybe I shouldn't even gone down that road first. Because I don't want to define people just like by that question. No, I appreciate the, I was going to say setup, but that sounds negative. I appreciate the introduction. Um, yeah, I guess my bias coming into this is I was raised in the church. So my family is still quite active within the church and quite a few of my friends. Um, I chose to leave the church during my senior year at BYU for my undergrad. Um, I identify as gay, so I came out around that time. And yeah, so I no longer participate with the church, but I find it really important to be a bridge builder as much as I can. Like both these communities mean quite a bit to me and I have people I care about in both. And so why not be involved and make things better when I am in a position to do so? Love that. I love your bridge building tone. Um, Dr. Lefevre, I get a chance to do your name right again. Share Lefevre. 
Yeah, like the fever. <laughs> I'm 0 for 2, but I'm self-correcting myself. So that's a, an ounce it. of grace. But go ahead, Dr. Lefevre. Yeah, I my story is similar to Sam's. I grew up in the church. I did everything right, served a mission, was an elders quorum president for like four years. And in the middle of grad school, came out as gay, identifies gay or queer now, and resigned from the church maybe three or maybe four or five years ago, right after the November policy in 2016. And I also identify as a gay Mormon still. For me, it's really it's important that I'm Mormon because it explains a lot of how I think about the world, the things that I value, like sugar and board games. But also the like the investment that I feel in both sets of people. Like I really I feel an affinity with other LGBTQ folks as well as with members of the church. And so it's it feels unfair for me to have to pick one or the other. Um listeners, you may be wondering why I'd invite people out of the church on the podcast to help people in the church do better. Um, but I felt impressed that these two men are sincere in their desire to help us do better for those that are in the church and those that are tasked with priesthood responsibility or stewardship responsibility over LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And how better to help us do better than two LGBTQ um, people that know this road well. And I, in my earlier days, thought everybody like Sam and Tyler just kind of wanted to throw bombs at the church and want the church to fail. And if they were sort of not participating in the church, they wanted to pull everybody in their direction to sort of validate their life story. But everybody that's not fully participating in the church has a little different feeling. And I've just learned there's, it's not fair to label um, a group of people like I just did label and why I labeled them in the past. And these are really two good men that are coming from this from a position of love and want because they love um, our faith and they recognize that there's LGBTQ Latter-day Saints in our faith that want to stay engaged with our faith but they have um, wonderful research-based insights to help us know how better to meet their needs. So this is that type of a podcast where we're just, we all are members of the same human family. And even though we may be in different faiths or different feeling about our faith, we often have common goals that can join us together in wanting to help people. So that's why I'm really glad to have Sam and Tyler on the podcast. So is that okay for just a stage setting? That's beautiful. Thank you. So I'll turn it over to either of you that just talk about, you could just get right into the results of the research. You could talk about, hey, why did we do this in the first place? And then what was our methodology? Just wherever you want to go. Yeah, let's maybe we can start with some of the why and the what's, and then we can get into the how's. Um, I'll start and then pass the ball to Sam. We'll probably just bounce back and forth throughout. But it started, at least from my experience, from my experiences with church leaders, I had a really wide range of experiences with church leaders growing up. Some that were really positive and some that were less than positive. And maybe some of those I'll share throughout the podcast. But I found and I really believe that the experiences that LGBTQ folks have with their church leaders ultimately impacts the way they relate to God, the way that they relate to the church and to their sexuality or gender. And so kind of the seed for this idea was thinking, I wonder if that we can better understand the things that are helpful and less helpful for uh, ward and state council members when they're working with LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. Yeah, um, sort of similar to 
Tyler, I feel like I've also had quite a range of experiences with church leaders growing up. Um, and specifically when I was coming out as LGBTQ. And so from like my very first time coming out to a church leader, which was really positive to my last time with a church leader before I resigned, which was just quite negative. Um, it like, it struck me how variable these experiences are for everybody. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it feels really important to kind of shed light on these church leaders are just people. And I truly believe that they're really trying. Um, and there just aren't really those resources available yet for what does it look like to help an LGBTQ member um, at whatever stage they may be in. And so but one of the goals for this study was like, we understand that there's this variability. Let's just look at different things that are going well, that maybe aren't going as well. And we wanted to provide some really concrete resources. We know that the, the church has a lot of teachings and general guidance for how to help like minister and counsel, but there aren't a lot of specific materials about LGBTQ plus individuals. So one of the things that we have that Richard can link to in the show notes is the flyer, the one page summary of what we found that leaders could look at if they want to learn how learn what we found that was helpful. I'm going to throw a couple of other plugs that may be in the show notes is we did in this study, we did an interviews with 25 LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints, and they were kind of all across the board in terms of their engagement with the church. There are about half that were really involved and about half that weren't. But it was still a pretty small group. It was 25 people. And we're actually in the process of surveying a larger group of people. We're hoping for the realms of 600, 700 to see how common these experiences that we're going to talk to you about are. So if you are an LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saint, we would love to have your voices included. And you can find this research through our websites, either fouroptionsurvey.com or lgbtqmormonresearch.com. We can throw links in the show notes. And, but yeah, well, like Sam was saying, well, our, our goals are to provide resources and to just say, like, if you want them, here's some things that people have said are helpful or are less helpful. Love this. Um, yeah, I just recognize that one day in about 2013 or 2014, in my church experience, a young man sat across my desk or sat on the side of my desk and told me he's gay. And I recognized I had no training to prepare me for that conversation. And I can't even remember what I said, but um, when we know better, we do better. And I think having proactive training, even if someone has never had this conversation before as a parent or as a local leader, the things you're sharing with us will help us do better. So keep sharing with us. Thanks. I think we want to walk you all through five, uh, five kind of questions that we asked that hopefully each can be insightful. So we'll start with the reasons why LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints talked with church leaders. And then move on to the kind of counsel that they were often given by their church leaders. Then we'll talk about things that were helpful and unhelpful. Uh, fourth, we'll talk about the impacts of what happened next. And then we'll kind of wrap up by talking about reactions that uh, LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints had to their leaders. Sam, yeah. you want to start us off? I would love to. So the very first question that we asked these individuals was, why did you decide to go and talk to your church leaders? about your sexual orientation or your gender identity. Um, and we found like quite a range of 
reasons that people were going in. Um, so most often, actually, people were going in just out of pre-existing church procedures of like temple recommend interviews, yearly interviews with bishops, things like that, um, interviews to get a calling. And there was kind of this sense of like questions were being asked that kind of initiated the conversation. So just questions from the temple recommend interview or whatnot. Um, and in some cases, the individuals were like very, yeah, like I want to talk about this. Let's talk about it. And in others, it was more just, I'm answering the question that you asked me. And now we're going to have a conversation about this. Um, after those like kind of church procedural reasons, there was also quite a few individuals who came in looking specifically for emotional comfort or for specific guidance. If, hey, I identify as queer or bisexual, whatever it may be. I don't really know what to do with this. And I recognize church position. Like, please help me. Or I'm like, this is really distressing for me. Can we please talk about this? Um, and then some other reasons that came up were just part of the repentance process and coming in because I like have acted against the commandments, things like that. Um, and then just, there were some people that just said, I like, came out to my bishop because I wanted to. Like, I wanted them to know. I want the church to know. Um, and so let's just talk to the bishop about it. So, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just, I think you were going to say place I was. <laughs> I was, my uh, summary of the things that you're saying, Sam, is that there are a lot of different reasons why LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints talk to their church leaders. And so what matters as a leader or as a parent is understanding why it is that someone's sharing what they're sharing with you. So if someone's sharing about their gender or sexuality because they just want to be open, then there's not much that you need to say or do. They're just wanting a listening ear versus if someone is uh, coming because they want to repent, they're looking for a lot more action. And you can imagine that if someone's coming just wanting to be open and you react and say, like, here are the things you need to do to repent, it's going to be a conversation that goes really terribly. But the problem isn't that you talked about repentance, because that is the perfect thing to do with the person who comes in and says, I feel so guilty, I want to get back on track and go to the temple. And that's exactly what they may need. It's kind of tailoring the counsel to fit the situation. That's a yeah. good insight because sometimes naturally local leaders know, um, I certainly would know how to handle a conversation about these are the steps of repentance. I sometimes would default to the, my areas of strength. So if someone just comes in a non-repentance interview just to talk to me about their sexual orientation, I may be uncomfortable with that conversation because I've never had any skill at that at the time, especially so I might just shift it to what I'm comfortable with, but I recognize from what you're telling me is I'm adding to his or her their burden with just what they really need right now is not a repentance interview. This isn't a repentance issue. This is just being vulnerable and honest and needing support. Yeah, I think it's such a cool and clear takeaway of one of the best things that you can do in this situations first is just understand, why is this person talking to me about this? Like, what are you looking for? And then from there, I can help provide that as opposed to, I just have this pre-existing statement that I'm going to say, no matter what happens. And you know, Richard, it's so interesting that you say that because we 
also asked what people found to be most helpful. So going a little out of order from what we said, but they said almost exactly what you just said, that the things that they valued most were empathic listening and openness, which was kind of a little bit mind-blowing because there were so many reasons that they would come to council or to talk to ward or stake leaders. But they said, the thing that I needed most was just empathy and openness. I wanted to be seen and heard kind of as a human rather than as a church leader. And I think that message is also really strong for church leaders to hear because I think that a lot of church leaders feel nervous and scared when talking to LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. They're like, what do I do? This is, I, this is not right. And how I can't like tolerate or condone or what, like what, how do I navigate this really complicated spiritual theological intersection? And one of the beautiful findings uh, from the study is that you can, all that they want is to you to be a human. They might not even need you as a judge in Israel, but just as a fellow traveler in life, that if you can just sit with them and say like, that sounds hard. I can't fully understand what you're going through. I'm here for you. That that itself can be most healing. That's yeah. cool. That's really cool. I, I did the interviews with these individuals and there was just this very common sentence that a lot of them would say of just, he just listened to me. Like he just was there for me. And that was really helpful. Um, and that's such like a, a clear, simple thing that people can do where it's almost, it matters maybe a bit less what you're saying and a bit more how you're approaching and what you're doing. Um, I think too, the very first time I came out to a church leader was on my mission, to my mission president. Um, and I, I don't know, I hadn't even planned it out. It just kind of like slipped out where I was like, I need, I need to say this right now to you in this interview. Um, and he utilized both of these things that we found most helpful, where he took a step back and he said, okay, like, I'm here to hear you out. Wow. Yeah. Like, tell me what's going on. That sounds like it's really difficult. Very, like, listening, very validating. And there was also this theme of openness, of I'm, I'm not really sure what to do or say here, but I'm here to figure it out with you. Like, let's figure out what's going to be best for you together. And that was just such a beautiful first experience for me that I, like, I felt exponentially better after the meeting. Love these, love these stories. Yeah. I think one of the things, and I'm just thinking of mistakes I've made mostly, is often I shift the, I attempted to shift the conversation. So if something comes out to me, I, these are things I probably could have done or did do nine years ago, um, eight years ago. I could say, well, I could, there's a temptation to shift the story. You've opened the conversation, you're gay. Then I sort of talk about a gay uncle or my feelings about this issue or a um, somebody in my life that was gay and it sort of lets me just share whatever I want to share. And it just, it's a poor sort of leader, poor communication style. When someone opens up about their situation, you just pivot and go off whatever you want to talk about, sort of giving you permission, but it's just what, and then it's the fix it mode. And I'm sure you're going to talk about that. Sometimes my job is to is to fix this. And I think you're helping us understand and you'll talk more about that. Our job is just what you're teaching us. So I'll turn it back to you too. Yeah. You're doing a great job of setting up each. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I think we, maybe segueing from there, we asked what kinds of counsel 
uh, LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints got from their leaders. And one of our thoughts is this, is that we wanted to kind of show leaders that the, the range of things that people are saying that they've heard and experienced. So we heard a few types of councils and a lot, there was a lot of variation within each. The, the first thing that people were often told was to focus on the gospel. And this kind of counsel is, I understand it to be like tangential from sexuality or gender. I come, I tell you I'm gay and you say, well, aren't the scriptures great? Isn't prayer good? Why don't you fast? Get closer to God. And there are things that maybe they're all good in themselves. Uh, and I don't know that people experience this as particularly harmful. We didn't exactly ask, but they're not exactly related to why, what people are coming. So it's kind of a bit of a miss of saying like, well, here's like some Sunday school answers, do this. So the first group was, was that, kind of responding with what I think was probably a really easy reach. These are things that we can all agree on are good. Let's talk about that. The second bucket were things focused kind of on restriction of same-sex sexuality or gender expression. And these were generally received pretty negatively. And when I say restriction, there's quite a wide range from kind of reiterating the church's stance, saying, well, you know, being in a same-sex relationship is not approved or not good, or that God doesn't want you to transition gender from kind of, so ranging from reiteration to all the way to saying like, you should really not talk to other LGBTQ people, or you shouldn't be open about this, shouldn't go to LGBTQ spaces, um, things that are really not supported by church teachings and doctrines. I think the church would not support those statements, but those were heard. And the, I think the more wide experience of folks who heard these like messages about restriction is that they were unhelpful, that people come in kind of knew what the church believed already. And that, that wasn't the question. It's not, what does the church believe? It's really more practical questions. So I think that's a realm of things that can say, that leaders can say. And I would encourage leaders to probably avoid saying them for a second until it becomes clear that the person doesn't know that. If they don't know them, I think there's value in reiterating documents. So second bucket. The third bucket is the opposite of the second bucket, and it was an accept yourself bucket, which also had a range. And I was honestly pretty surprised to hear this bucket because the start of this range is very in line with church teachings. So saying like, look, your sexuality or gender is unlikely to change over the course of your life. And so that's okay. Like we can talk about this. This can be something that's here. And that is really in line with what the church teaches about same-sex attraction and gender identity. So from like the really conservative end to a much wider end of saying like, hey, maybe it would be good for you to explore same-sex sexual relationships or transitioning. We had folks whose priesthood leaders helped facilitate their transitions, which uh, people experienced as helpful. But and for a lot of leaders would really feel kind of like out of bounds, like uh, an inappropriate step to take. So but. Uh, there is a range, and I kind of want to focus, there are things within this range that I think most leaders kind of are at their hands that could be really helpful affirming counsel of just accepting where things are at. And the last bucket was really interesting. It was kind of a step outside and a step that says, I will respect whatever choice you make. Like, I know God gave you agency to decide how to live your life the best. Help me see how I can help you best. And so these people said that their priesthood leaders were there and they were very engaged, but they didn't fall into the role of fixing it. Like you were mentioning, Richard, they said, this is really between you and God. 
I am here to support and minister, to mourn with those who mourn, comfort those who stand in need of comfort, rather than to follow Lucifer's plan and tell you all of the things that you have to do. So four kind of different buckets. People also responded to this last bucket pretty well. Yeah, I want to, I guess, include quotes when I can, just to help drive home what the people were actually saying. I remember there was one person when speaking to this last point who shared the experience of telling their bishop, I'm considering stepping back from the church, but I'm not quite sure yet what I'm going to do. Um, and the bishop said, like, I am here for you no matter what you choose. Obviously, we'd love it if you kept engaging with the church, but if you feel like it would be better for you to not, like, I completely respect that, and I want you to know I'll still be here for you in whatever way I can be. And I think that was just such a, like, a beautiful message of highlighting and respecting agency, of, like, this is your choice, and I'm going to be here for you as a bishop or as a person, however I can best help out. Sam, if I can jump on that, that was my experience in my last conversations with my both uh, branch president and stake president. I got to a place that I felt like I had to resign because I was going to be excommunicated once I got married. And so I went to my priesthood leaders and I talked to them. I'm like, hey, this is where I'm heading. This is what I'm doing. And both my branch and stake presidents responded so kindly and positively. They like, this Tyler, this is sad. Like, we are sad to hear that you say you're saying this. And I think they asked me, are you sure this is what's right for you? And I said, yes, I might, may, might not be what I want to do, but it's what I feel like I need to do for my life. And they were both really clear afterward. They're like, well, we will respect what you're doing. And because they were so clear and loving in their delivery of those messages, I've always felt really like at home and comfortable reaching out. And I, I didn't leave the church with a bitter, bad taste in my mouth. I left feeling, feeling like seen and supported and understood, which has honestly made it easier to continue interacting with the church than if they had been like, no, it's going to be terrible for you. You can't do this. You shouldn't do this. Um, those are really good couple good segments from both of you. And um, I do realize how we treat people if they feel their path is to separate them. Church can forever affect their feelings towards the church. And to me, we don't have to sell out our doctrine to be kind to people. In fact, as you're helping us understand, it is our doctrine of agency that gives us permission as leaders or as parents or as fellow Latter-day Saints to let you self-determine <clears throat> your best path forward. And I mean, it's really not a dichotomy where, I mean, what would you say to leaders that say, I can't do that? I feel like my job as a leader is to, is to, call you to repentance, remind you of your covenants. You've both been through the temple. Um, and sort of my job is to get you back on the straight and narrow, however vocabulary I'd use. My, and I can't, that's too affirming for me. I feel like I'm not doing my job as a priesthood leader. Same mm -hmm. principle may apply to parents um, if you're choosing that road. Gosh, Richard, I've lost some of my scripture vocabulary. So maybe <laughs> you and Sam can help fill this in for me. But I think, I think leaders' jobs and parents' jobs is to make sure their children are taught in the ways of truth and that they know the covenants that they've made and that they understand the promises that they have with God. Not to enforce that they do those things, but to be sure that they know and that they are aware of what's going on. And I think that's 
that would be my message for church leaders is that I think church leaders' job is to make sure that the people in their stewardship understand the covenants and promises that they've made. And But it's not that they enforce them because enforcing them has always been Lucifer's plan. We don't hire Gestapo in our chapels. We hire... Or, we call leaders who will help inspire people to be more like Christ by the way that they live. Yeah. I would just echo Tyler's thoughts. My mind went to, I guess the whole purpose of earth life is to make your choices and to choose whatever you choose. Um, And so I just, like, I don't see a world where trying to control someone's actions leads to positive outcomes for either person. Um, and so, yeah, echoing Tyler, I think it's like your role can definitely be, hey, like, this is what the church believes. Like, this is the stance. This is what I believe God would want. However, at the end of the day, it's your choice. And I'm here to support you as a person. I'm here to provide Christ-like care, meaning I'm, I'm here to love. I can educate. I can guide. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm never going to force you to do something because that's not my role. I think that's a great segment, and I'm really comfortable with it. Just so listeners know, I'm very comfortable with what both of you are sharing, and it's been my experience. Um, it's relieving in a way as a parent or as a local leader to sort of approach it this way, that my job is to teach and invite. Um, your job is to decide, um, and, and that's part of our doctrine of agency. And it's relieving because my job is to control outcomes for my kids or my ward members. My job is to do as just you described. So that I like that segment. I I do really agree as I've met that, you know, back to the sort of normal things I might have done earlier in my church assignment, my YSA assignment is it's like the word association game when someone would come out as gay. I think I would naturally want to remind them of the proclamation on the family. And what I've learned, and you're both smiling, is that they're, I think I put this phrase in my book, they're usually walking encyclopedias. They've read everything. I guess walking Google search engines would be a more appropriate term for millennials and gen whatevers. But they generally don't, I mean, Tyler, you made the point, maybe sometimes there's some people that actually don't know the doctrine. Um, And for some reason, they just haven't been clear. But I think most are. And so I, I recognize that obviously usually isn't helpful for them, and it often doesn't really answer their questions. Um, how the proclamation, we could have a whole podcast on this, the proclamation on the family is a document I support, sustain. It, it ex- describes the path my wife and I have, but I recognize for a celibate gay Latter-day Saint who feels his or her path is never to have companionship and be celibate so they can fully participate in church. That document doesn't really say how to do that. It just sort of describes what's not possible for them. And so it, it can be a little triggering for them because it just reminds them of what's not possible for them and outside of their control, unless they feel a mixed orientation marriage is part of their path. So I just, there's nuance there, listeners, and some of you understand that really well. And some of you are kind of hearing that for the first time and, and just when we know better, we do better. So I don't want to take up too much time. I want to make sure that you two, continue to share your research yeah no that was great and i think it provides again another beautiful segue into the next section um where we also we asked these lgbtq plus members and former members what was unhelpful about their visits with church leaders 
And the most common thing was kind of what you were just describing, a lack of empathic listening. So the most helpful thing was when my church leader listens to me and validates and is just here with me. And they found it really unhelpful when it was just kind of like, I'm not really listening to what you're saying. I'm just here to regurgitate the proclamation um, of the family, to the family. Something like that. It has a few different working titles in our church. There's a colon somewhere. There is. Um, yeah, but it's there is this sense of it's it really hurt me, or it was really difficult for me when I felt like I was sharing with my church leader and they just weren't really listening or they were invalidating of my experience. Um, so that was the most common thing. And then in addition to that, people reported it was really unhelpful when they felt judged or hurt or pathologized, so kind of treated as sick if they identified as gay or queer or transgender, whatever it may be, um, which kind of harkens back to what you were saying before with there may be some church leaders who are trying to approach this as there's a problem and like your sexual identity is the problem and I need to fix you. And treating that as a sickness or treating, there were some individuals who reported that the church leader sent them to like a pornography addiction recovery program or a sex addiction recovery program when those concerns weren't brought up at all. It's just, I identify as gay. Okay, like go to this. this I think most people know why that's not healthy, but just because I've heard those stories too. Talk to us, Sam, why that's not helpful. Um, I think it like subliminally sends this message that if you were gay, it's because you're addicted to sex or it's because you have this illness or this problem. So it's just, it's a really invalidating approach to something that is a natural thing. Like I never chose to be gay. Um, and I also recognize that it's not an addiction. And so if someone comes up to me and is like, hey, you should take this. I can't think of a good example. Like no one would offer me chemotherapy if I had a cold. Uh, like, like, that just doesn't make sense. And so to do a similar thing, with a sexual or gender identity is basically saying, I lost myself, but you, you understand. The it. point is right. Yeah. I, I want to throw in, Sam, the way, part of what you're saying is that at least for me, being gay or queer has been about finding emotional lasting connection much more than sexual connection. And the same way that being straight is that for most people. And so to, to say that because you're gay, there's something that you have sexual problems often just doesn't fit for people. There are, there are plenty of people who are gay and they're just like, look, it's because I want to be with someone of the same sex, not because I want to necessarily have sex. Like the sex piece is secondary to the romantic emotional connection. I like that. And um, someone, um, I remember this quote sticking in my mind, an addiction is something you need to try to become addicted to. And it leads to a bad outcome. Um, there always a bad outcome associated with addiction, but being gay, as you guys can, I think, share with us, isn't something you tried to become. It's who you are and how you came, and it doesn't lead to a bad outcome. So it's yeah. it's very different um, space that I had put in the same space um, earlier until I listened to some other people kind of help me better understand um, so that's both, that's very helpful. Keep sharing um, ideas and insights. Sure. Um, I guess just to finish off with the unhelpful section, 
there were a few LGBTQ individuals who were reporting that it was really unhelpful when they felt like their church leader had kind of a more narrow worldview um, or lacked knowledge about the LGBTQ community. And so for me, I, I enjoy pointing this out because it's, again, quite a clear takeaway for church leaders of it can be really helpful for you to develop, like, I guess, exposure to LGBTQ people, hear some stories. Um, I think like Mormon and gay or Mormons and gays, I'm sure they changed the name maybe, but there are even church sponsored websites that talk about LGBTQ experiences and that can help sort of get out of your own headspace and see other people's experiences, try and develop some nuance so that if someone comes in and talks to you, it's not just you relying on your own knowledge, but you understanding other people's experience to a degree as well. So if you listen to this podcast, you're already doing the thing. This is a a place that I think both Sam and I send people who are wanting to understand about LGBTQ plus Saturday Saints, because Richard, you do such a great job of bringing people's stories to life. And that is so helpful for church leaders to have is just to hear stories of people so that when they have someone who sits across from them or next to them, they're like, oh yeah, I know of at least five people who are transgender or bisexual or queer. Keep sharing. (laughs) So we also asked, how did this affect you? How did talking to your church leaders impact you? And our biggest takeaway from this question was that actually the answer was quite a lot, which is a little scary as a leader. Um, But uh, I think it speaks to the mantle of authority and the importance of these conversations. I like to remind leaders that when an LGBTQ plus person talks to them, chances are pretty high that that person is in the first couple of years of their coming out process. Sometimes people will talk to leaders later on, but I think many people are talking to leaders at the very beginning of their process. And that means that the LGBTQ plus Saturday Sin is particularly vulnerable. They may not be sure about their identities and experiences. And so actually the conversations with leaders may be among some of the first that they've ever had. And so those interactions are gonna carry a greater weight because they're just at the beginning of the experience. I know I I talked with my bishop when I was 15 and just like starting to come out, there's a line in the for strength of youth that said, if you experience same-sex attractions, talk to your parents and your bishops. And I were bishop and I was had my face in my hands. That was the last thing that I wanted to do, but I was such a good boy that that was, that was the line that made me come out to my parents and my bishop. And those interactions were really powerful and actually really shameful. (laughs) So it didn't go well. Neither of my parents nor my bishop knew what to say. And they kind of mirrored back to me the shame that I brought to the conversation um, for them because I didn't want it to be the case. And so they also kind of avoided the conversation and ultimately led me back into the closet for 10 years. So I often wonder how my life would have been different if either my parents or a church leader had been like, it's okay, Tyler. Like we don't need to be scared about this. That's a pretty powerful phrase. Um, Mirrored back the shame that puts you back in the closet for 10 years. Just, I think you've done a good job already expanding that, but I want you to stay with that pretty powerful phrase. And, and I recognize Tyler, you're 15. 
the courage. Yeah. I mean, the incredible. I, I mean, I can. I don't want to make it painful for you, but it sounds like you got your. You can't even look the guy in the eye. You got your hands oh. in your face, and you bravely share this part of your life about him with him. Talk more about that. Yeah, and with my dad at first, I remember like knocking. There were actually three nights in a row that I tried to tell him and I couldn't. <laughs> I would like get out of my room and walk to his office and turn back. But eventually I knocked on his office door really timidly and was like hesitating so much. And I was like, dad, I need to tell you something. He's like, what? And I'm like, I like kind of like men's bodies. And he's like, uh, you mean you want to work out more? And I'm like, yeah, I just want to work out more. <laughs> and that was it. That was the conversation, Richard. That was, it just ended up because I was so relieved that I did the thing I needed to do and I could stop talking about it. And I think it was similar with my bishop where I said the same kind of thing. And I think my bishop um, asked if I had broken the law of chastity. I think that was his follow-up question. And I said, no. And the bishop was like, well, that's it. Good. Like, good job. And it just like ended the conversation. And what's interesting for me is that neither my parents nor my priesthood leaders did like wrong things per se. Like they, they really actually just reacted to what I was bringing. Like I didn't want to talk about it. And so they didn't talk about it either. And I think that happens a lot, but it would have been so powerful to get the opposite message from a leader uh, or a parent. Say again what you wish that bishop had said to your 15-year-old self. Yeah, I just, I wish he said, would have said it's okay, Tyler. You don't you don't need to be scared about this. What a simple but powerful thing. It's okay, Tyler. You don't need to be scared about this. I could just almost imagine the weight taking off yourself way back then. And this yeah. is where what you the work that both of you are doing is so needed because I think a lot of leaders want to do the right thing. They just haven't had any training um to know how to respond and sort of prepare themselves about how to respond in in advance. Mm-hmm. So keep sharing thoughts and results and insights. Yeah. Um Tyler, did you want to finish up impacts or should we move on to the last Yeah, no, I I can keep going to the impacts. So we found that these interactions had big impacts and many of them had spiritual impacts. So most of the impacts were kind of both positive and negative, right? So we had people saying, because I talked with a church leader, I felt more open and able to engage in church. Like I felt like I belonged. I felt like I could be part of the ward or the branch. And then we had people saying, I really didn't feel like I belonged. I couldn't go to church anymore. I didn't want to go to church anymore. Kind of both sides. We had people saying this made me uh, lose faith. Uh, I had a hard time believing in God anymore or in the church. And then we had some people say that it made me nuance my faith. And it was the idea of separating God and the church, that my church leaders are imperfect, but God is still perfect. And then we had people say that this really affected my mental health. So I talked about guilt and shame, like I did, but some people also talked about suicide or depression or anxiety on the negative end. And some of them talked about positive feelings too, of euphoria and happiness and freeness and openness. So for me, the takeaway was that the conversations with church leaders have really concrete spiritual impacts as well as kind of health, mental health impacts. Wow. Yeah. I, 
I find myself even now, but also just in these interviews, having a lot of, I didn't even know what the word is that I would use, but I guess a lot of grace for church leaders of realizing like, wow, this is such a high stakes endeavor, eh? And I'm sure that's also quite scary to have somebody come in and say like, hey, I, I think that I might be gay. And for there to not be any official resources or things really, like there's no training of what do you do in this situation? Um, I like truly to my core, don't believe that any church leaders are trying to cause any harm or to cause any of these like more damaging outcomes. Like no church leader wants to make somebody depressed, I'm hoping. And so kind of like using that to segue into the last thing that we asked our um, participants was kind of what is your reaction to church leaders? What are messages that you want to give to church leaders? And one of the main ones that came out was like, I really, I understand that it must be hard to be a leader. And I recognize that they're just a person. Like they're not the person with all the answers. They're, they're a human being. Um, and I think that that's such a beautiful takeaway for church leaders is understanding like they get it. They're not expecting you to be perfect. Um, they're just there sometimes looking for comfort or guidance or repentance, whatever it may be. So just be that human with them. Um, and then, yeah, some other messages that participants wanted to share with church leaders included, like, I'm really grateful that I had positive interactions for those that did with church leaders. Um, I feel like I myself fall into that category of, I've had some quite negative interactions, but the positive ones stand out so much more to me because I was in such like a, a shameful place that having someone in authority saying like, it's okay, let's just talk through this. That's so helpful. And that's so calming and comforting. I think another big message was for individuals who had maybe more of a negative experience, there was this message of there is a big difference between not being prepared and being hurtful or actively hurting me where it's, Again, a lot of grace with, it's okay if you don't know what to say. It's okay if you're not really sure how to approach this. However, it really damages me if you hurt me or if you judge me. So definitely there's that line there between not sure what to say and saying things that are harmful. And then the last message, which I found to be the, the most intriguing, was this was kind of this sense among LGBTQ individuals that if I go in and talk to a church leader, like I might have a really negative experience. So a lot of participants shared quite harmful experiences or interactions that they had with church leaders. And then afterwards, almost all of them would say, but it could have been so much worse or, but I feel lucky, you know, that wow. it wasn't awful. And I remember I had the exact same reaction after I had a really like not good experience at BYU where my bishop outed me to all of my professors and had them like watching me to make sure I wasn't acting outside of the commandments. And I remember going home and being like, yeah, but at least they didn't like do something worse, whatever that would have been. Wow. Yeah. So it was so like consistently said in the interviews that I think it's a really important take home message for LGBTQ people and also church leaders is that there is this message of, Sometimes it's going to be awful. And that might not always be the case, honestly. 
I think from a leader standpoint, it's <clears throat> so important to be aware of that, that the person sitting across or next to you may be like trembling in their boots because they expect it to be such a bad experience. And the understanding that they're the, like the fear and the anticipation of rejection is so strong can really help like ease the tension, even if it's not there and there's nothing you've done to convey that. I think it can be even more important for leaders to be welcoming and to give cues that they're safe and that it's okay to be talking about that here. Um, your word of grace is pretty good, Sam. It's off. Both of you are extending a lot of grace back to the church and back to your leaders. You've had positive experience. You've had negative experiences, but credit to both of you for the grace you're extending back. Um, it's a, it's to me, it's modeling what we need to do in a divisive world. Um, the principles you're sharing here, just your kindness and your grace and your understanding. This is not a bombastic podcast where we're throwing bombs at each other. This models what we need in our world right now. Um, but when there's pain and a feeling you don't have a place, which you guys, you know, don't. <laughs> The reality of that is if you feel like you want to be with the same-sex partner, you don't have a place. And so you felt your best path forward and hope. And um, I just recognize the complexity of your personal situation. And hopefully we can do what some of your leaders have done is just say, I support you. I'll walk with you. Um, my relationship with you stays intact. And we're all members of the same human family. Um, I love confidentiality. It sounds like um, some confidentiality didn't stay in your situation, Sam. I think that's something that is so important in that bishop's office. And I think if you're not keeping confidences, your ward figures that out pretty quickly and you get known as somebody that's not safe. And I think you want to do everything you can as a, and this isn't just for bishops, but for parents, local leaders, you've just, if somebody tells you something in confidence, even though information sometimes gives you power and you sometimes might use that in a prideful way to sort of elevate yourself by sharing it with somebody to sort of show I'm in the know and I've got this inside scoop and it makes us feel there is a potential sort of power that comes with somebody's information. Um, but the, the responsibility to keep that confidential is just supreme and fundamental to our responsibility. And then I love your point about creating a culture where perhaps people even would know in advance how you'd respond. I think it'd be appropriate for a bishop and a home ward or a YSA ward or a young men's leader to say, if you approach me with these issues, this is how, and go to Elders Quorum and release Saudi and just sort of say, you know, if you're going to come out to me as LGBTQ and talk to the whole ward, especially in a YSA ward, with, in a home ward with the, the young men, young women, some parents may be uncomfortable with that. You may need to get the parents sort of on board with that, but certainly in a YSA ward where a lot of this is happening, although your experience, Tyler, happened first in a home ward, I think it's good to let people know in a broad way how you respond. And so then the anxiety that you're both talking about, the courage and the anxiety you feel is somewhat taken off the table if you know in advance how that leader is going to respond. Parents could do the same thing um, to create a culture in the home. This is how I'm going to respond if you're going to open up about vulnerable stuff. 
So, um, and I have a thought that came to my mind about church leaders. You know, I think church leaders can't feel they failed if some in their flock choose not to fully participate in the church. Um, and I, there's people in my flock when I served that were fully participating in the church that don't now. And I sometimes wonder what could I have done different, but I don't think that's part of mortality. Um, you've got to give yourself a lot of grace and don't sort of go back and say, well, if only I had done this or this, or maybe been a little more direct or a little more this or that, I just, I'm not sure that would change anything. Our doctrine is agency and people honor their agency. And I think your responsibility is just the things that Sam and Tyler are sharing. So be kind to yourself and don't think you've failed. I look at both of you as not failures. <laughs> I don't look at these are two um, not success stories. You're both incredible men doing great things in your lives. Um, one with a PhD, one pursuing a PhD great members of our community, great members of society doing great things. So I don't look at your lives in any way as tainted or a negative. You're um, having living great lives, doing wonderful things. Um, so to me, your personal lives are great success stories. Um, just, but I've been talking too much, so go back. I want to make sure we get through all the content. So Yeah, I can. I, I'm just going to start wrapping this up because Richard, those were the main questions we asked. And I really appreciate your comments, especially about successes and failures. I want to leave with a few thoughts, and then I'm sure Sam has some too. So we have three main takeaways from our work. And the first is that to understand why people come and to you and what they need. The second is that how you treat LGBTQ plus individuals matters more than what you do. The third is to learn more about LGBTQ plus individuals and their experiences. We are uh, currently tr uh, trying to reach ward and state councils to share these findings. And we're really happy to come talk with bishops, state presidents, members of councils. If anyone who's listening is interested in having Sam or I or our team come talk with them, please, please, please reach out. You can email me at tyler.lefevre at usu.edu. Or you can find a link, again, in the show notes to a Qualtrics survey that you can give us your information and we will reach out to you. So please, if you're interested in us sharing this with you and your leadership, let us know. And then if you are an LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saint, we really want to have your voice to hear how it's been like for you to hear these things and to experience your experience with church leaders. Please come take our survey and let us know so that we can uh, have more accurate information so we can help leaders and folks in the future. And we'll put a link to that um, <clears throat> that survey in the show notes. All the links we've talked about, listeners, will be in the show notes. Sam? Yeah. Well, first of all, echoing Tyler, please, like, it's, I feel like it's so important to be able to share your story. Um, and it's such an empowering thing. Yeah, I feel like for a population, at least for myself, when I was still in the church and not quite out yet as well, it was really difficult for me to feel like I had a voice and to feel like my experiences mattered much. Um, and so, yeah, please share your story. It's really important. Um, we would love to hear your experiences. And I think for me, and we talked about the three main takeaways of the study. Um, and it also, it really hit me just in hearing these people's stories and also thinking about the church leader side as well. 
that at the end of the day, we're all just people. And I think sometimes we maybe forget that. Um, but church leaders are just people and LGBTQ people are just people. And we're all trying to do what we feel is best. And so like I, it, it hurts my heart a bit to think that sometimes we make each other's lives harder than they need to be because we forget that we're all just people doing our best. So I guess that's my main takeaway message in addition to the actual survey. It sounds super cheesy saying it, but like, just treat people well. I, it's not that hard. <laughs> just be a good person. Love it. Love it. Anything else either of you'd like to share? Thank you for having Thank us on. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's really beautiful to get to share these stories and to be to be part of this creation that you've made, Richard. It's really an honor to be here. Well, it's an honor to know both of you good men and see the work you're doing. And um, it's bridge building work. That's a word one of you used at the very beginning. And it's very needed. Um, so I encourage our listeners to reach out to you two directly to invite you to come speak and and just be open that we can learn. And who better to learn from but you two men that are walking this road. And, um, and listeners, I just invite you to act on the impressions you felt. If you're a local leader, a parent, or if you're LGBTQ, we haven't directly addressed you here, but there'll be things that are helpful for you if you're out or closeted. Um, that Tim, Sam, and Tyler have shared. So act on your impressions on what you need to do. And and when we know better, we do better. And that to me is creating Zion. Zion isn't sameness. I think about that word a lot. hope that's not a triggering word to anybody. But Zion to me is um, when we know better, we do better. And it's not sameness, but our hearts are knit together in unity and common goals to lift and support and help each other. And to me, Zion is not just my faith becoming better within my faith. It's my faith being an active Latter-day Saint committed. Create Zion and partly in my relationships with people that have left our faith, people in other faiths. To me, that's our hearts knit together as the same human family. To, and the part about Zion I love is no poor among them. And to me, listeners, that's symbolic for anybody that needs their hands raised, to anybody that's walking a harder road. Um, now I'm going to just share, um, if you'll indulge me, I did a Facebook post and maybe those of you that are on my Facebook, but I, I'll just read some of it. If it's okay, listeners, I love these words from elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf. How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know, but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew? Elder Uchtdorf's words remind me of what I call the trap of under opinions, which is forming opinions of and finalizing conclusions about groups of people and the issues they face without ever listening to multiple people in that group. Over my lifetime, I realized I formed under opinions about LGBTQ people, people with honest questions about our church, people who have left our church, people finding happiness and joy in their current religion, people in other political parties people of other races, women, undocumented workers, people with mental health challenges, people living in poverty, younger generations. As I've matured, I've tried to listen to a wide range of people in a group to develop informed conclusions and insights, which helps me better see the members of the same human family. It helps me know what I can learn from them, what I can do to lift their burdens, and for those that are Latter-day Saints to help them feel welcome, needed, and a sense of belonging. 
Until we take time to listen to people outside our normal circle, I don't think we should form opinions about them. How am I going to know how a black teenage, sorry, a black teenager feels without talking to lots of black teenagers? Humility is a better approach to say nothing or I don't know and state unearned opinions. I believe listening is one of the keys to reduce divisiveness, heal our divides, and create Zion. Listening helps us learn what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us so we can get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew. So that's just a little bit of my journey, listeners, as I've tried to mature um, and not sort of add to the burden of others. So um, I think we'll sign off unless any last thoughts came to either of your minds. All right, Tyler, you're going to give me one more chance to get your name right. Dr. Tyler Lefevre. Yeah. It took me the whole podcast. Glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Richard. Future Dr. Sam Skidmore, PhD candidate, both Thank at you. Utah State. Thanks for your great work. And um, this is Richard Osser signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.